Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. All right, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have someone very, very exciting. You know, I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit of, of fintech uh, today and especially from someone from Israel. You know, I, I really love founders from Israel because they, that, they have this training, especially from being in the military, that is really unbelievable. From start, Startup Nation coming to us today, Arad Levertov. Welcome to the Deal Maker Show. Oh, thank you, Alejandro. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So originally born and raised in Israel. So tell us about your life growing up there and, and being raised in Startup Nation. Oh, that's great. So, you know, being in Israel and now it's interesting because now I'm raising my kids here in the U.S. Um, when you grow up in Israel back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, you basically uh, enjoy the life of simple life. Uh, you got a lot of independence, which I think that's something that leads to start nation. You, um, you you come back to school, you go out, and you don't come home until you until the evening, and you 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 play with friends, you make new friends, you do stuff, you or um, organize different things, and you're learning a lot of things. I think that. Um, um, this was a great childhood. And then when I joined the military later, I also did a lot of things that actually helped me to improvise and do things that are fun. And in the military, you were for five years. So that's quite a bit of, a bit of time. So I guess, hey, in terms of, of work ethics and, and ways to handle stuff, like what kind of like perspective or perhaps a foundation, you know, like those five years gave you? So I was lucky to be in the military and be in, um, in the special forces of the military. Um, and I spent five years. Um, first of all, you you know you do training, right? You you come as a high school kid and you go, you join the military, and you um, now they tell you what to do. Um, you need to do a lot of hard training. And I think that the first thing that I learned is that um, you can do what more than what you think you can do. Um, you can run, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles, and then after it, you realize you need to do another 10, you can do it. It's just a matter of, um, of you know, it's in your head, the way we like to say. Yeah. Um, another thing that was really good, and I think that I learned it as well, is that the importance of the team, right? I mean, um, you, can do, you can achieve much more when you have a team. 
um, if in the hard times and in the in the um, in the really tough times when you have to be with them. So your team, you need to contribute to the team, of course, and your teammate contributes to you. And in general, in life, when I look at it, it was uh, more than 20 years ago. Um, it gives you the right perspective. So even right now, when things in the business are not right, sometimes you always think, okay, it's only business. Let's try to figure it out and it will be okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I was actually thinking about this yesterday. I had a conversation with a, with a very successful founder and, and he said, look, Alejandro, at the end of the day, this is like looking at it as a game. You know, if you take it too seriously, you're going to fail. So it's just like being unattached to the outcome and just you know, continue to look ahead strategically. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think it, I, I will say it right now. There's something that is uh, interesting. At the end of the day, the worst case scenario, which is a worst that we will fail um, in general, in any business. And we need to remember it all the time. So first of all, you need to make sure that it doesn't happen and work hard to do it. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're alive, we have, we have families, everything is good. So let's focus on this, the way we do it. And do better for people to make sure you, you, you contribute, you add value to the people and focus on this. And that's focus on this in your business. It will, one, make your business better. Um, and two, will give you the right perspective of, of how to manage the business. And in your case, why, you know, obviously you, you, you really like problems. And that's why you got, you know, you went at it as an industrial, you know, studying industrial engineer. Uh, but why, why? Why engineering? I think this, in, in my case specifically, I think it was the industrial engineer that, that uh, attracted me. Um, uh, how to say it? When, when, I, when, I, when I wake up in the morning, you know, before I, I do my kids' uh, lunch bag, um, I will turn on the, the boil, the, the, the water for the coffee because I think I don't want to wait the water for the water. I want to do something while the, while the, the water are boiling. It's something about this uh, eliminating uh, waste. Um, that I, I probably got raised with this. I was also, uh, I liked it. My, my, my father was an industrial engineer. Uh, so I think it was in my blood. So I went to, I said, I think I'm going to like it. I think it's good. And I enjoyed it. And actually I've been doing it uh, basically since then, both in manufacturing and now in uh, fintech. And and before, you know, diving into into fintech, one of your first uh, rodeos or experiences as a professional was, was Intel. You know, Intel, obviously, um, a really fantastic uh, company, you know, in semiconductors. So I guess, what, what was your experience with, with Intel like? Um, Intel, for me, was a, a great experience. So um, I joined Intel after, as I said, after five years in the military with a lot of leadership experience and um, um, great adventures. And then while I studied industrial engineer. Engineering, and then I joined an Intel as a, a manufacturing manager in the in the facility, in the fabrication facility. Um, had to work shifts, manage the team of technicians, and it was really the entrance of me to the business world. Intel, um, how to basically lead the team in the business world, how to set goals, how to communicate uh, to the team, how to make sure that you achieve. And you focus on the important things and not all the other stuff around, which is, you know, a lot of people say we are busy, but the question, how do you add value? Um, not only being busy. And I think that was a learned at Intel um, in the manufacturing, the importance of adding value, of eliminating waste, and how to lead teams in the um, 
I call it the business world in general. Um, a lot of uh, great culture, a lot of language, which I, I, I try to take right now in what I do. Got it. Got it. And then, and then obviously you decided to go into business school. So why, why did you go into business school and especially why, why the U.S.? That, that's a good question. So I, when I was, um, you know, when I was 17, I spent three months in the U.S. Um, in a summer camp. And it basically exposed me to some dignities behind Israel. Um, as I mentioned, I grew up in Israel, great childhood. Um, but then I realized there is something bigger out there. There is actually the big world out there that actually uh, does a lot of things. And um, I thought that I want to study. I want to study in the U- in the U.S. And um, you know, in researched, I had a great career at Intel. But I decided to you know just let's leave it. Let's try something else. I was um, you know see how we can actually take what I learned before at Intel and before and try to apply to other places. And the, the you know the the entry in, the interest was through the business school that I came to the U.S. So then business school. What was that experience for you like? So Vinsco's was also interesting because you, 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 you come from a small country and then really you learn that also in business, you need to work with teams. You need to work with, um, um, with different people. For example, I was pretty good in math, math but I wasn't that good in English or, or in reading or understanding the case because it took me time to adjust. And in my team, we were used to have you know a few Americans, some people from India, from from Korea, uh, from China. Which you walk together, everyone everyone brings someone else to the ta- something else to the table, which you really learn to accept different cultures and to understand that um, at the end of the day, it's all about the right people in the team and to put each one of where they can succeed. Um, it was a great experience, really great experience really exposed me to um, things that I, I couldn't have done before because I wasn't um, part of it. And thinking about teams and, and obviously new uh, segments or industries, right after graduating, you went into, into Innova International, and, and that was your, your first exposure to fintech. So what was fintech like at that point, and, and why did you get so excited about fintech? So I... I found, uh, you know, you know, I, I, it was in 2009. I joined a company called Innova, first as an intern. And I think the reason, the the reason I, I was able to get the job is because um, I was just working in operation within the company. I was supposed to improve the uh, the efficiency in the call center. Um, and then uh, I realized that basically in fintech, um, in lending specifically, there is a lot of um, operations. I mean, there is a lot of efficiency you, you, when you make the decision about who to lend and who not to lend. Uh, when you are learning to, you want to make it personalized. You don't want to penalize people that are paying back because someone doesn't pay back because you didn't you didn't uh, assess the, the risk right. So there is a lot of way to improve and to be more efficient. And by this efficiency, you basically contribute directly to the consumer, because I'll give you a simple example, which which you know I, I liked it and, and I enjoyed it. If you if you lend to ten people, and only five people will pay back, these five people need to cover the five people who didn't pay back because you need to make sure that your your your, your bottom line is good. But if you do it better, and if you 
understand the risk of each one of the customers. And you are able to give NPP loans um, and each one of them give the right amount and the right risk and everybody pays the, the pays back. At the end of the day, everybody benefits out of it. Everybody will get a better loan. Everybody will 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 be able to do more with the money, which all of us are working really hard uh, for the money that we are um, making. So I was um, uh, excited about this when, when I got into, into, into Innova. Um, I learned this. I learned that it's not, it's easy to say. It's much harder to, to make it right because there's regulatory and you need to build a great product and you need to be transparent with the consumers. But at the end of the day, fintech and, 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 and lending specifically touches the people, one of the most important things, right? They, they need, they, they work hard, they, they make money, they need to go back to the life and try to make the best out of this money. Um, so I was really lucky uh, to join Innova and learn all this along the way in my six years over there. So then let's uh, talk about the moment where you decided that it was time for you to leave and, and to build your own business. How was that process like? So it took a while to, uh, to, to get to this conclusion in the process. So when, when you come from a different country, um, first of all, I, I learned the system here because I wasn't aware. In Israel, it's a different system. There is no real credit score. The, the, the lending is mostly connected to the bank account that you are with. So it's, a diff- it's totally different here when it's all separated. The second thing that happened is, it's funny, because I'm an immigrant, I actually had to build my own credit. Um, I started without a credit score and I had to build my own credit. And I think a few months after I started working at Innova, I went to Costco to buy groceries. Um, and I realized, you know, I've been more than two years in the States. Now I work, I have a salary. It's probably my time to actually apply for a credit card. So at Costco, I apply, you know, by the cashier. I'm with, with my three kids trying to, to apply for, for a credit card. And after filling up a form that is basically, basically some personal question, how much do I make? What is my social security number? Where do I live? How much do I pay for it? Um, I got denied. I got declined. And I felt it's kind of, pretty embarrassing when you get declined in front of other people um, and and you don't do it. It's not like in front of a banker or at home. You do it in front of other people. And then I realized yeah. that it's not, it wasn't only me. There are about 50% of the people who apply for point of self-financing actually gets declined. So trying to investigate what we can do better, I, I said there must be a better way to accept a lot of people and not to charge a lot of money. And this by building a more personalized offer and more technology to do it. So thinking about it day by day, at the end of the day, I realized that while I have a great career, I work in a good company, it's growing. I was the the chief operating officer of of a public company when I decided to leave. I realized that I learned a lot of things and I don't have a real excuse not to leave and not to build something. So what was that trigger, you know, for you to really say, you know, to really take the risk and the plunge on saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my own business." I, I thought, and I still think that um, there is a way to give better credit for people, uh, much cheaper for everybody, and to include everybody, not only the people that are prime customers. And I thought, after thinking and investigating, thinking about how you can do it and you can do it better, based on my experience at Costco 
and and the, the product we develop I kind of I had in my mind that we can I can develop I thought when I look back in my life and I say yeah you know maybe I, I was good in the corporate world but I had the chance to do something bigger I should try I should try um so um I, I I should not. I will. I will definitely regret for not trying. So I decided to leave. Um, you know, moved my family from Chicago to Los Angeles, uh, built a founding team, and started uh, Sunbit. And why Los Angeles? So we had a um, um, from. And that's another diesel. In the regulatory point of view, we, we 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 the way we wanted to start, we needed to be in California because California had a great uh, uh, regulatory to the specific. Uh, product that we started with um, and um, in the founding team we we decided uh, I have three other co-founders which, which I assembled uh, from people that I knew for about um, 20 years on average and uh, we decided together that the engineering team will come from the startup nation uh, we'll have the, 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 the engineering and the data team based out of Israel and we had two co-founders over there right now so I realized we don't really need right now engineers in the U.S., but we have them in Israel. And we felt that Southern California will be good from the retail point of view. So um, my, my co-founder and friend who moved from New York to, to lead the sales and I moved from Chicago, decided that Southern California uh, is a better place to start um, working on something. And, and four co-founders. So I think that, you know, managing, you know, just one ego is tough. Managing four is even tougher. So how did you guys, you know, really like manage the process of understanding who was accountable for what and how to diversify responsibilities? Uh, that's an amazing question. And I think that one of the, um, um, you hear it probably from every entrepreneur with, with, with experience that would say the founding team, the co-founders, this is the most important thing in, in your um in a journey because maybe the business will change, but the co-founders are the co-founders. So right. first of all, I, I was really lucky to, to pick up uh, the other three uh, from people that I knew before um, um, or need the head of uh, uh, engineering used to work with me at Intel about 15, 20 years ago. All the head of uh, sales used to, we, we used to be charge of friends and we actually used to live together in underground. And Tamir, the head of analytics, I knew for about, um, Seven years in, in Chicago when, when we used to, to live together and to understand. And and before we started, I think before we started, we had um, really a two days of knowing each other because I knew each one of them, but they didn't know each other. other to really set up the expectation, to understand that we are going to work together for, for many years. We set up expectations. Uh, we, had, we align on goals that we try to build something that will last and will be big. And um, we divided the uh, um, the responsibilities. And I can say that right now we are more than four years since we had this meeting and we are still working really, really well together. And we all have one goal. It doesn't mean we don't argue. We don't, you know, we don't um, um, sometimes disagree. But as long as we put the goal of Sunbit ahead of us, um, that's what we do. And um, And you mentioned about ego. I think that we decided to make sure that the ego is in the side was on the side, but the company is is, uh, is in front, and uh, we see it on the day to day. So the company in front, and I love it. You know, it's not who is right or or who is wrong. It's like what's right for the business. So I fully, fully subscribe to that school of thought. So I guess for the um, for now, now that you had the um, kind of like the band coming together, 
uh, and really like being there in Los Angeles so that you had, you know, that regulatory framework, you know, like that was more adjusted to to what you guys, you know, were facing, you know, with the business. What were some of the early days like? So the early days were, were really interesting because, you know, we decide, you decide you make you make the move, right? So think about it. You decide you make a move. And before that, I was managing about 800 people. And then, you know, you move my family and um, tell my partner moves here as well. And, okay, now you need to, <laughs> you need to start actually doing it. Um, so you've been thinking about it for a few years. Now it's happening. And, and I think when, when the first days, I went back to what I learned at really what you call lean manufacturing, about you need to make sure that you add value all the time. So on one end, we worked on the product, which we, 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 we had the thought about what need to do, kind of you create the new product, the MVP. Um, that's we work with the, with the team in, a, uh, you know, with the team in Israel, which were basically two. Um, on the other end, what we did, I just walked around stores here, tried to realize who will be my first partners, tried to, um, to tell them, I have a new product, you might want to try it. Um, it wasn't ready yet, but it might be ready in two months, so let's, let's figure it out if you want to try it. And that's basically what we did. We, we, we found the first uh, store that was willing to give us a chance, uh, a small boutique in, uh, um, in Culver City and um, walk with them, got the first, you know, letter of intent, and then, then the chance, and took it from there. And what were some of the challenges that you guys were encountering as you were building up the business? So, so the first, you know, the, the first, um, um, so there, there are challenges along the way, right? Even right now there are challenges, all the, all the time there are challenges. I think that the first thing that was, was uh, interesting is to, you need people, because our business is basically we help, the retailer sell more by providing them a great tool of uh, point of sale financing. Um, but okay. you need the retailer to trust you because they will put your product in front of their customers, ask their customer to give the details, the personal details to you. So first, you know, the first story, it was interesting. The first story that we wanted to give, um, to give the, um, um, to give us a chance so we came there and then we came with the family and we bought them. We bought there as, as a customer to make sure that really know us and get us to know. So it took us a while. Um, then we we wanted to find, then after we got a few stores, we got, I think, 20, 30 stores um, here in Los Angeles. We needed to identify really what is the best vertical that we work with. And also it took us a little bit time to 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 make it clear and we realized that our product is super important for what we call non-discretionary expenses, where people just need to get things done, like fixing the car, like going to the dentist, like um, going to take care of themselves. So we, at first we tried different stores, uh, which was weren't that, but then once we realized it, we said, okay, let's focus on this help customers and have customers go back to their life right away. Because basically, what's the um, walk us through the business model so that the listeners get it? So our uh, product is um, uh, we basically help customer, help retailer to help the customers to, um, um, to finance the purchase. So when you go to a store, let's say you go to fix your car uh, in the Toyota dealership or Honda dealership, um, and you realize that as a customer, you need to, it's going to cost you $500. Uh, 
the associate in the store that actually used Sunbit, the associate will have an iPad and will tell you, Alejandro, um, you know, it's going to cost you $500. Just give me a driver license. I can see if you qualify for a payment plan. Basically, they take the driver license, which anyway you would give them anyway, scan the barcode, and based on this information, we are able to to get a, and with the customer consent to get a to get a, a, a soft credit pool and to underwrite the customer and allow each customer to split the purchase three, six, or twelve months. Um, this takes seconds, and we are able to do it to nine out of ten customers. Uh, which is unique and still maintain the credit card rates. And hopefully each customer will get a better rate compared to their other alternative. So the way it works, you complete the transaction, um, the customer complete the, the sales, and then we pay to the store and we collect the money over time from the customer. Um, we get some revenue from the store and also some revenue from the customer and try to find it in a way that everybody is happy. The customer is happy, the store is happy, and um, we are happy as well. So then so then regulation, how do you go about regulation? Because regulation is a beast for, for this type of companies. That's true. Regulation is a lot. And uh, if you look at <laughs> the legal bills that we have uh, to make sure things right, it's pretty high. I think that... Um, um, you need to build things right. I think our first our first employee, other than the founders, was a general counsel that actually has a lot of experience in this area. Um, you need to understand that building things right takes time and takes money. Um, but if you do so, if you understand the details of how you can take the loan, how can you present it with transparency to the customer and still make it a good product that looks good, um, if you do it right, basically it gives you a great advantage uh, because there are a lot of detail of what I explained in the product that are covered by regulations. And how do you, example, start in California because it's easy regulation, which will be good to California, but not good enough for the entire country. So you start in California, you do it well, you build some record, and then you move to the entire country, which is right now. Um, it helps you to be more efficient in the decision you make. Got it. And was that the. Um getting the general counsel as, as one of the early employees, was that a strategic discussion, a strategic decision, or a financial decision? No, definitely strategic. Um, in this type of business, the, the, the legal is part of building the yeah. product, right? Um, you, you you cannot build the product without well, while ignoring from the regulation from the legal. I mean, of course. if you want to build something that will last. But I'm, I was just wondering, like, whether, like, when you guys took a look at it and said, hey, you know, whether we outsource legal like every startup does, you know, versus having legal in-house, when you were doing the numbers, was it cheaper or was it more costly? Uh, it wasn't cheap. It's, um, um, it's, not, it's not about, it wasn't financial. It's understanding that you need to build something right um, and um, you do it right from, from, the, from day one. Of course. And obviously, you know, like operating in fintech and especially for paying those bills, you know, it costs money. So how did you guys go about capitalizing the business? So we, we you know, and right now we are looking, we, we raised so far about over $50 million in, in equity. Um, but we start small. We start, of course, with the friends and family, uh, the people who believe in you, the people who, who just heard the story 
that they just said about you know you living a job and doing it or you know what you've what you've built over the last uh, over over your uh, you know almost 40 years of career before we started um or 40 years of, of age and i think we started really simple friends and family getting you know 25,000 for this 50,000 for this etc cetera, etc cetera, until you find until we found um the right partners um for, for leading kind of the seed and the right round, which oh, that that I think that the right partners are partners that from one hand understand what you are trying to do, but from the other hand understand that you are the expert expert and you need to drive the the ship, um, which we were lucky to find. It's hard to find because at the end of the day there are many investors that sometimes will want to tell you what to do versus. I'll be with you. I will tell you when I'm thinking you're wrong, but at the end of the day, you drive the shift. Um, I'll I'll help you as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah, understood. So I guess as as you were, for example, like looking into partners, especially the the institutional investors, because I mean, raising over over fifty million is uh, is is not easy. You know, it's not easy, especially when you're looking at onboarding people in your cap table. You know, is is how we know it, you know, like it's uh, it's tougher to divorce your investor than your husband or wife. So I guess um, when you were thinking about the right profile, as you were saying, the right partner, what did that right, you know, partner look like for you guys? I mean, did you guys got together, you know, the four co-founders and and basically went through the trades or through the characteristics of 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 what that investor needed to have uh, in order to really bring them on board? I mean, what 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 was that? What did that profile look like? So we, you know, we we had um, we were thinking about okay. First of all, we talked. You know, when you learn and you do when you, when you start, you talk to a lot of people because that's how you learn. And this is something that you we didn't uh, we didn't plan who is the right profile and do it because we didn't know what we know right now. Uh, you just start talking to people, and then you realize that many people you talk to, it's not relevant because either they don't into fintech or they don't into retail, which we wanted to be. Um, so then you see, I want to understand some that is understanding retail um, and understanding fintech. So we were able to find, for example, Chicago Ventures, which are based out of Chicago in the Midwest. They have a great uh, experience in retail and also understand, understand fintech. And then from the other end, we found Group 11 here uh, in Los Angeles, which also really understand fintech and try to, 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 um, to focus on the fintech uh, space. And both of them really like the story of what we try to do, which means find the customer exactly when they need them, give them a great offer, um, find it to everybody, and they believe in our ability to execute. Uh, so we're able to find them early days, and they've been with us um, um, really from the seed round all the way to um, to now. So as you're thinking back now, and, and in terms of fundraising, I mean, I'm sure that there's been a lot of learning, you know, and you know, a lot of pitching too. So I guess. Uh, what has been your biggest lesson? I think my biggest lesson is that um, in many cases, especially when it moves a little bit farther, when you need to raise more money, like we just did from the VF Ventures uh, about uh, five, six months ago, you need to tell a story that you actually can execute. I mean, you can. Uh, people will not believe until you start showing some traction. Um, 
I'll give an example. At first, we used to say, okay, we, it can be in many places, but say, no, but show me where it is going to be. So we found the one vertical, which is a car dealership uh, repair. We start growing this business significantly. Then we say, only, only if this will be only this vertical, this is a huge business, so let's invest in this. So you need to tailor your story and understand that the audience is there to, to believe you in the thing that they already see that you can do. Um, don't tell stories that are not relevant. Even though you know you can do it, you need to prove them that it's already done. Interesting. And then, and then I've seen, you know, and I've, and I've been told multiple times that the way that banks exist, you know, they're, they're not going to be the same way. You know, probably they're not even going to exist, you know, in the way that we know them, you know, in, let's say, 10 to 15 years from now. So I guess, you know, like you're, you're very deep into, into the fintech world, into what's going on. Like, where do you think fintech as a, as a whole is really evolving? I think we're only in the beginning, right? I mean, um, today with technology, with data, there are a lot of things that, that that you can do. I mean, you don't need to you don't need to have a branch. I don't know when was the last time you went to your branch for the bank. Uh, probably it's most months ago, if not years ago. <laughs> when 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 my parents when our parents used to do used to do it once a month to go to get money or to or to deposit money or to deposit a check. Um, I think that the banks are there right now and they're going to be there. Uh, because they have the uh, advantage of the regulatory framework of the structure. Um, however, there are the fintech companies that need to learn how to work with the banks in order to give a better service for the consumer. So either the banks will change and start focusing on consumer more and more efficiency, or they would partner with fintech companies who can bring this innovation and basically bring more value to the consumers, which basically can do a lot from, you know, from the home with the phone or today or maybe even in the future with the watch without actually going and and, and, and walking into places. Got it. And one of the questions, uh, Arad, that I, that I typically ask the, the guests that come on the show is if you had the opportunity to to look back, you know, and, and obviously now, you know, it's it's incredible experience what you have accomplished, you know, with the business, uh, you know, during the good times, during the bad times. Uh, but I guess, you know, going back to that moment, you know, maybe in Innova, where you were thinking about the possibility of launching your business, if you could go back and speak to that younger self, to that younger or at, knowing what you know now, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself and why before launching a business? Um, I think that... If you ask me one advice, I think we did right with the right people and chosen the right things. I think that what I personally would have done better, um, I would focus more on the right investor to talk to before I just go and talk to everybody. It took me a while to learn it because um, then it will be much more efficient and um, you know you spend more time on, on building the business then than raising money. Um, but this is something that I really learned along the way and I, I could have done it probably two years ago. So how do you go about optimizing for finding the right investor rather than wasting time? How do you do that? I think that you really need to understand and learn who are the right investors that are interested in, in the area um, and try to get them in the right way. I mean, make your list shorter and try to get them with the right connection. 
of course, get traction before you do it. And, and that's something we actually did well. We had a product before we went to go to uh, to custom, to investors. Um, but, you know, learn, network, network on the right specific. Try to learn from previous entrepreneurs who did it before. I think there is something great in the community of, of, of entrepreneurs that actually help each other, uh, which is pretty cool. You know, people help. People are willing to introduce you to the right people. Um, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it, um, and then it will help you along the way, which is like paid forward because you will be able to help to other people um, in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think that finding the right investor, like you were saying, you know, it's a, you know, unfortunately, time is is all founders have, and you know, if you're wasting it, you know, either speaking with 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 investors that maybe are in fundraising mode and they're not deploying or maybe in investors that are investing in healthcare rather than fintech or or maybe that are investing in growth stage where you're in an early stage i mean i think that those are like like really the common mistakes that perhaps founders can avoid to reduce the time no yeah exactly exactly to understand also what we are you're looking for and who will be the right investor i think that um yeah you do want to go to talk to the growth stage because you want to know them later, but maybe it's not the time. I mean, maybe you need to wait another six months before you start talking on the growth stage. Talk to the seed people right now. It will help you better, probably. Yeah. And and how big is Sunbit? Just say so that the folks that are listening, they get an idea. Sure. So we are, um, so as I said, we started in California in this one store. Right now we are in, um, I think, over um, 2,200 locations across over 40 states. Um, growing in the pace of um, hundreds of locations a month. Um, basically, growing the business, we have over 100 employees, and we are um, over the last year and a half, we are growing in the double-digit number um, months of a month. That's amazing. So, all right, for the for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? You know, I'm always um, happy to be in a, a reach out to me in email. I write at sunbe.com. Pretty simple. Um, and happy to say hi to anyone. We are based in Los Angeles. Amazing. Well, Arad, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Sure. Thank you, Alejandro. It was great. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.